Welcome, everyone. Um, yeah, Lent's been, uh, or 40 days, depends what sort of time you want to put to it, been quite quite interesting, I think, for me as well. Um, I've been doing, trying to do a lot of fasting. As you can see, that's not my regular, it's not my regular thing. Um, my wife cooks wonderful food, so, uh, well, it's rude not to sample it, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I've been trying to fast a lot, but I spend a lot of my, my work week on the road, so I'm regularly walking through services um, on sides of motorways. It uh, makes you worship louder to uh, when you walk past KFC and Burger King and all those gloriously smelling places when you're not eating food. But but God speaks, doesn't he? Um, when we when we put ourselves aside a little bit, which is what fasting is all about, essentially, God speaks, God interacts with us, um, and it should draw us closer to, to him. That's the whole purpose of that. But we've been looking at prayer, obviously, over this period of 40 days, uh, and we've been looking at the prayers that we find in the New Testament. And today we're going to look at one that Paul prays, actually, which is from Ephesians chapter 3, which I think we're going to have on the screen. Um, I wondered, actually, if we could all read it together. Have we got it on the screen? Yeah? There we go. I wonder if we could all read it together, because this is a prayer to the church. This is a prayer that Paul prays to the church uh, in Ephesus, and it's it's a wonderful prayer. And I'm going to struggle to unpack it all this morning, because this, this is just too much. Um, but... What I do unpack, hopefully, will uh, will be amazing. But let's read it together, shall we? I'll stand more to the side. This is the ESV version, or the smug version, as is often known. Um, but yeah, let's read it. So from verse 14, we're going to read. Uh, For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What an amazing prayer. When I was when I was thinking about this, I was kind of trying to imagine someone praying that over Rochester community or over Cornerstone City Church. It'd be an amazing thing for someone to pray out. It's a prayer full of the Trinity of God, working together for our benefit and ultimately, of course, for the glory of God himself. So we have the Father from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being, the love of Christ that indwells and surpasses knowledge. The Father, Son and Holy Spirit all working together in perfect unity. I love that image of the perfect trinity of the Godhead in Paul's prayer. But it's not just the trinity that we see in his prayer, is it? Who's in the middle of that beautiful image of the Godhead? Yeah, beyond that, so we've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And who else is in the middle of that, what we just read? We are. We are the church. The passage includes the saints or the church. 
everything that the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is doing is directly impacting and benefit and growing us in this moment now, but also for eternity, as we'll see. Isn't that amazing? The Godhead, the Trinity of God, the Godhead, is at work in us for our benefit. Now, as I said, there's so much in these verses. So much in these verses. It can be difficult to unpack it all, so take this away as well. Go home and read it, meditate on it. Maybe play it over in an, on an audio Bible over and over. Consider what we're going to look at today. But before we look at the prayer itself, what, what Paul actually prays, let's consider his posture as well. One of the overarching themes of the book of Ephesians is that God becomes a God of all peoples. It talks about the dividing wall, doesn't it? Christ has reconciled all of creation to himself, both Jew and Gentile. And it's, just, it's that reconciliation that unifies us under the banner of love, of God's love, poured out for all of us at the cross. The dividing wall is being torn down. This is just in the chapter before. We've gone again. In and out. Purpose of that cross is that Jew and Gentile, all people, can now know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And Paul was praying that, this prayer, to the Ephesus church, off the back of that knowledge and understanding. So he's been teaching that, helping the Ephesus church to understand that, and there are reasons behind that, which I ain't going to go into today because there's not enough time. But he's praying off that understanding that God is a God of all people. But he's, he's actually prostrating himself, he's actually kneeling while he prays, while he prays. It makes us think of Jesus as well, who does the same thing at the Garden of Gethsemane. He gets on his knees, he prostrates his face to the ground. Which is actually quite unusual in that time period. Generally, when, when the men went to the temple to pray, they stood, prayed. So they'd be in a sitting position and then they'd stand to pray. So I think we need to understand that Paul's posture here is really an earnest one. He's getting on his knees. It indicates his heart behind the words that he prays. It's a deep, heartfelt prayer. His soul's sincere desire. When we think of each other, when we pray for each other, do we think likewise? Do we, is that a posture of our heart? Sometimes it's easy to pray from a standing position, maybe metaphorically in a heart, unless you're on the knees. Some of us can't get down that low. Um, but do are we that earnest in how we pray for each other? It's food for thought, I think. Um, when we pray for our brothers and sisters, do we do that? Is, are we that earnest in, in seeking God? Is it the soul's desire for us as well? So what does Paul pray? There are four, th four key words I'd like to suggest. Um, I mean, there's a lot more, but there's four key words I'd like to suggest. First one is strength. Second one is love. Third one is knowledge. And the fourth one is fullness. And we're going to unpack a of those a little bit as we go along. So the first one, he prays for them to be strengthened. He prays that they might be rooted and grounded in love. So there's love. He prays that they know, they have knowledge of Christ's love. And he prays that they might be filled with the fullness of God, which is an amazing thing to pray for anyone. So the first one, strength. Paul prays that they might be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. It's an interesting sentence, I think, because remember he's praying to a church. These are Christians. These aren't people that are coming in. These are people that are Christians. So to pray for more of the power of the Holy Spirit, and that makes sense, but surely as, 
as Christians, we really have Christ dwelling in us, don't we? I think he's praying for a more deeper and tangible connection with Christ, who is within us. That's why it's through faith. It's a strengthening through the power of the Holy Spirit that stirs our faith and deepens our realization and relationship with Christ within us. It's the Trinity at work together. To rephrase maybe, you could pray, may Christ by his Spirit settle more in your heart and strengthen you. You could think of it like that. So it's not saying Christ isn't there, because these are Christians, Christ is there. Christ lives in each one of us, yes, amen? But he's praying, praying for more of a connection, more of a realisation, more of an understanding that Christ lives in us. If we could grasp that more fuller, then how, imagine how transformed we would be. One of the big things, obviously, of this passage is about love. Love is uh, a word we often throw around in, in church um, for obvious reasons. He prays for an increase of the love of God. But not just directed from the Godhead to us, but from us back to the Godhead and to each other in the body of Christ. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and Christ's love indwelling to enable us to express that love that Christ first showed us. That's really important. He prays that we be rooted and grounded in love. If you think about roots for a moment, with a tree, if it doesn't have roots, what happens? It doesn't grow. It falls over. It dies, ultimately. Roots are so important for strength and for nourishment. That's the level of love that's needed within us. That's why we've got to root ourselves in. It's one of the, the big virtues, I suppose. Christ has many... And God has many amazing characteristics, but if we bend it down to one, we'd probably go down the route of love because it's love that drove him to the cross. You think about being grounded as well. Without a foundation, a house lacks strength as well. Same, same scenario. And it collapses and it's uninhabitable. It's not a place where we can live. That's the importance of love for the believer. It's not just enough to know that Christ loved us. We have to get that love deep in ourselves. Growing it, build our lives on it so that it overflows out of us. For the sake of ourselves, for the sake of our brothers and sisters around us in community, and for the sake of those who have yet to know who Christ is. Love is important, yes. It's fundamental, the most fundamental part of being a Christian. Christ is love, Christ dwells within us, and that love should be expressed through who we are, how we are, what we say, what we do how we care for each other, how we care for those around us. Can we cultivate this love within us by ourselves? Nobody wants to answer. <laughs> no, nor do we need to try, because it's the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ living us within us that makes it possible. We can't cultivate Christ's love. Christ is love. We have to come to a deeper understanding realization that Christ is within us and his Holy Spirit gives us power to express it. If we try and do it ourselves, we're just like everybody else out there. It won't, it won't, it doesn't happen. That doesn't mean you can't be kind and good and all those sorts of things, but love, Christ loves a far deeper thing. It's in, incomparable. It's a nice long word for us. 
It's bigger than our human understanding. And it can be known. We can know Christ's love. Paul prays that they might know the, know the love of God in bigger and deeper ways. He says, also, that you be rooted and grounded in love, that you may have strength, as the Holy Spirit work again, to comprehend with all the saints, all of us together, what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What an image of the love of Christ, eh? One of the commentaries I used in my preparation for this was was John Stott's message to the Ephesians. It's quite an old one, so it's quite hard, hard on the grass, but he uh, he breaks down quite nicely, I thought, um, the length, depth, height, and breadth. Um, he says it's length, it's long enough so it lasts for eternity. I think that's a great image. It's deep enough to reach the worst of sinners. It's high enough that it exalts him in the heavens. And it's wide enough to encompass all humanity. What a great image of, of the love of Christ. Well, if you don't know if that was Paul thinking when he wrote that, that's probably somebody else's thinking. But it's a great image of the enormity and the glorious, gloriousness of Christ's love for us. Another image, of course, is the cross. High, deep, wide. This image of the cross. Reaching out in every direction. Romans 8. Verse 39 tells us that nothing can separate us from that love. If you come into God's house and you've committed your heart to him, then nothing can separate us from that love. Extraordinary. We'll be responding a bit later. We're going to do communion together today. And it's important we do that regularly because, not just because we're instructed by Jesus, because although we are, so Jesus does instruct us that it's an important thing that we should do. But because growing in the understanding of Christ's love with each other is important as well. It's a together experience. It's not something we truly do by ourselves. It's a together experience. We're not supposed to do and growing love, the love of Christ by ourselves. We're supposed to do it as family, as church family together. That's not to say you don't get before God on your own, because you do. Growing in the love of Christ is a together thing. As we do it together, we encourage each other and we grow deeper. We encourage it. It's, it's development. The word communion obviously comes from the Latin words. If you didn't know that, it means fellowship or shared participation. It's a together thing. The Greek word is koinonia, which literally means the same. Participation. Shared experience. So we grow in the love of Christ together. We do it together. We come rooted and grounded in the love of Christ together. As our mutual love for God grows, it increases for each other and overflows to us around us as well. That's the prayer that Paul prays to the Ephesian church, that they grow in love together. I wrote down a, a quote in my prep, but I neglected to write down what the author was. Um, but he said this, or she, I think it was a he, he said, it needs the whole people of Christ to understand the whole love of God. The saints together from every tribe and nation on earth. So he's talking about the big church here. He's not talking about just one church in one location. The final thing, important number four, if you like, 
is he asks for the fullness of God. They'd be filled with the fullness of God. Paul prays that the result of God, Christ's love in the church, that as we grow and develop in the love of God, that they become filled with the fullness of God. So one enables the other. What is the fullness of God? Yeah, kind of. Deeper than that, though, I think. Well, not you can go deeper than Jesus, but... Okay. I think it's God's perfection. I think it's the Father's perfection. The fullness of God is a perfect God. God is perfect. And as the love of Christ grows within us, we become perfected in him. And we're perfected to the day we stand before the Father ourselves, who is perfect now. Hebrews 12, verse 2, tells us that Jesus is the author and protector of, perfecter of our faith. 1 Peter 1, verse 16 says, Be holy as God is holy. Be perfect. Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus says, You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In that passage, he's talking about loving your enemies. I mean, these are hard things to attain to, and we can't do it by ourselves. Which is why how Paul prays is important. It's a together thing, and it's the Trinity at work in our lives together. Our journey together in Christ, rooted together in God's extraordinary love, that is strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit, results in us being perfected. Becoming the perfect bride that Christ has chosen for himself. In fact, it says we're being filled. Kind of suggests to me we're not perfect yet. Anyone perfect? Some of you not sure? Ask your wives, gents. You'll soon know. Ask the person next to you, Angela. Be fine. Don't worry. It's not. It's not a serious thing. But the fact that we're being filled, it it, it means it's a process. We're not there yet. None of us are there yet. Some of us may be further down the road than others. Um, I'm not saying me, by the way. But it's a process. We're being filled as we journey with Christ and we journey together with Christ. It takes time. It tells us we have more room to grow. The word we often use is maturity. Um, growing in maturity in the knowledge, understanding and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We already know this doesn't happen by ourselves. We as individuals can't do it. We as a community even can't do it. As a whole church, we cannot do it. It is God himself who does the work. That's why Paul prays like he does. It's the Holy Spirit's power in us. It's Christ indwelling in us. We have to, we have to trust in that and use our faith in that for it to happen. I love the way it goes, it ends with now him, the Father, he was able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's about God at work in us. 
all three parts of the Trinity working together in the different ways that they do. That draws us closer to him, that draws us as a people closer to each other. That makes us want to pray like Paul prays for each other, to get on our knees and pray with that, with that earnestness because the person next to you matters that much. We're not going from here and, and doing what we do and then coming back and then doing church again, but actually it matters. And when we hear, it was great when Izzy went in the hospital a week or two ago and everyone rallied around, everyone wanted to, to pray, everyone wanted to get involved. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. That when we see a need, for those that don't know, Izzy had a premature baby, she's one of our congregation. Um, baby was born at 31 weeks, two months premature. Um, she fits in her hand. I've seen a photo. It's tiny. But God, well, God was amazing in that moment. The baby's doing really well. Izzy's doing really well. It's a difficult time, but as a church, and not just Rochester community, but as a whole, whole church, and in family and people beyond that, we're praying earnestly. We prayed for Joseph's uh, important exam on Wednesday. That's, this is the love of Christ in us that cares for those around us. And it needs to be for all of us all the time. And it doesn't need to be about specific stuff either. So I can go home this afternoon and I can get on my knees and I can pray for each one of you. And you can do the same. It's not just about leaders doing it, it's about all of us doing it. We can pray for that vision of of Christ in us, that togetherness, that they experience of, of Christ's love all the time. And ultimately, it's not we benefit massively, we benefit for eternity, but it's about him. It's about his glory. His power at work in us glorifies the Father. And that glory is supposed to be visible in the church, actually. As we grow and mature and become more Christ-like because of the love of Christ that's in us, that should glorify him in the church as well as in our own personal life too. He is the immeasurable God, full of incomparable love. And by all, by his divine power, he, he can do all things for his glory. I'm going to finish in a, in a short while. I didn't want to go on for too long, but it's right that we respond to God's word with worship and reflect. And we're going to do communion to do that as well, which is a together shared experience. We need to think about these things beyond just this morning as well. Paul's desire was to see the Ephesus church go deeper and deeper in the love of Christ together for the benefit of each member. And so that the Father would be glorified through the life of the church. It's my prayer too, by the way. That's my prayer for Rochester. It's a prayer for the elders over the whole of Cornstone City Church. We want every member to benefit from a deeper and deeper journey with Christ in his love together. It needs to become a prayer for all of us. It's not determined by how long we've been a Christian. It's not determined by how old or young we are. We can all be a part of that process. 
if we truly want to see God revealed and lifted up among us in ways that maybe we're not quite yet, then let's pray that prayer like we prayed at the start as an earnest prayer for us. We could pray it for the other communities as well, for our church. But maybe one morning this week, maybe you want to get up early, get on your knees. If you can get physically get on your knees, do it. But it's not about physically on your knees, it's about your your heart. You can get on your knees in your heart. And let's pray that for each other. Let's pray as Paul prays. Let's pray for the work of the of the Trinity, for the Godhead of Father, Son and Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in our lives and in the lives of us as a church. I'm going to finish this. We're going to respond with some worship. I don't know if you want to get up and get your guitar ready. And we'll have some communion. Thomas is going to lead us through communion a bit later on. But I want to finish by reading a bit from John 17, which is often known as the great high priestly prayer that Jesus prays. And he prays this shortly before he's betrayed. He knows what's coming. He doesn't physically want it, but not his will, but the Father's, as we know. Yeah, I just want to read it out and us to reflect and think as I read the words. You might want to shut your eyes because it tells us the heart of God, the heart of the Father, the heart of the Godhead. I'll read it from verse 20 because it's too long to read it all this morning. But Jesus says this. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they may, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these things that you have sent me, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I also in them. Amen.